This morning, I want to share a word with you, and we're going to begin out of the book of Samuel. Let's turn to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 3. I'm going to read several verses out of 1 Samuel, chapter 3, and then chapter 4. Thank you, leaders and pastors and ministers and elders, choir. Thank you so much for how encouraged all of us are who look onto the services week to week. How much you have blessed many of us from far and wide. Thank you. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare. In those days, and there was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. Let's go down to chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped besides Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in the battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, was there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. But verse 9, it says, be strong. Conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. Turn with me to verse 19 of the same chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 19. Now his daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, was with child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured because of her father-in-law and her husband. Verse 22, and she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. The title of our message this morning is Restoring the Glory. Restoring the Glory. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that already, Lord, you have, you have manifested your glory in our midst. We have delighted in your glory. And we will never take for granted the source of our strength is in your glory. We thank you for it. Lord, teach us today. Help us to see Jesus. We would see Jesus and hear his word. We pray this in your name. Amen and amen. What an amazing story that we have here in 1 Samuel chapter 3. It tells of one of the many, many battles between Israel and the Philistines. But as we read, this battle did not, it didn't go well at all from the very beginning. The initial part of the battle, thousands died of Israeli soldiers. So the leaders of the people thought that the outcome of the battle would change if they went and brought the Ark of the Covenant out of the tent of meetings, out of its place of the Holy of Holies. Bring it out. And let's take it out into the battlefield and see if our fortune doesn't change. The Ark of God's Covenant was a symbol of God's presence, God's power. God was with his people. And so when Israel saw the Ark of the Covenant come into the battlefield, they were inspired and they shouted so strongly, the Bible said, so loudly that the earth shook. And this caused the Philistines to pause and think, and maybe this is not a good idea to fight a people who can literally bring their gods, as they said, into the battlefield. But they girded up their loins. They stirred themselves up. They went on into the battle, the Philistines, and as a result, they won, and not in a small way, 30,000 Israeli soldiers died. The death of the priests, sons, Hophni and Phinehas died. But most importantly for the message that we want to share this morning is that the Philistines captured, they captured the Ark of the Covenant. And when Eli the high priest heard this, he heard that his sons had two, two sons had died in the battle and the Ark of the Covenant had been captured. He fell over and died himself. And the daughter-in-law, as we read this, after hearing all of this, who was, in, who was giving birth to a child while she was in labor, agonized over the picture of where Israel was, where the people of God were, where they had been defeated in battle and her sons, her, her son had died and her father-in-law had died. But moreover, the Ark of the Covenant, which defined Israel as a people, was captured. And that moment of agony, she summarized what she was feeling. Ichabod. Ichabod. Which means the glory. It's gone. It's gone. I believe that as we look at this story, beginning with 1 Samuel chapter 3, that the glory of God had literally left them before the battle. I didn't believe, I don't believe, even though the Ark of the Covenant came out, that they could still rely on the glory. Because if the glory was there, they would not have lost the battle. And there were signs and there were indications that the Israel was no longer the same nation that had crossed over into the promised land many years ago. Crossed over in great faith and great courage and were able to go against the cities of Jericho and Ai and other cities and bring down strongholds. This wasn't the same Israel. Something was missing. And as I read this story from 1 Samuel 3 to chapter 4, I can't help but think, is, is this where we are as a people? Are we seeing Ichabod? 
in our own land, in our own cities, and even in our churches. There's this time of darkness in Israel's history, we remind you of the things that we read about and hear about every day in our country. But my question is, as I read this, how in the world can you lose the glory? How do you lose something which is so vital and important to your very existence? How do you lose the glory? Which provided Israel with their own identity. These are God's chosen people. Phineas gives us, wife gives us an answer to that question. How do you lose it? She says it. The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Someone stole it. Someone took it. Someone more powerful than we were somehow convinced us that they could take from us what rightly belonged to us. The enemy of God's people is always seeking an opportunity to take or steal from God's people. The very source of our peace, the source of our hope, the source of our confidence, the source of our joy, which is our strength. And the source of all of these things for Israel was that God's glory was in their midst. That was the source. And I'm convinced that if we apply the picture of what we see here to where we are today, I am convinced that the enemy does not want to shut down our churches. The enemy doesn't want to shut down our churches. He just wants to take from us the glory. Hear me. His plan is not to shut down the churches, but to take from us the glory. And it's the glory that makes us unbeatable. It's the glory that makes us more than conquerors. The glory. If he can take the glory. But there's another way that we can lose the glory. And we can find that in the book of Romans chapter 1. Beginning with verse 21. Another way that we can lose the glory. Romans 1, 21 says, because although they knew God, we're, we're talking about the church. We're talking about the people of God. We're talking about believers. Because although they, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened, Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and they changed, hear the words, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Hear what the word of God says. They changed. If it were possible, if you ask yourself, it is possible to change their glory from the true God to idols or images which did not represent God. Why? Because they no longer glorified God, neither gave him thanks. Can you lose the glory? Yes. Can you lose the source of your strength, of your joy, of your peace? Yes. You may be thinking, but we'll never worship some brazen image like those pagans do in other countries. But we need to be very careful that the instruments, the instruments which are used to help us Lead us into worship 
do not become themselves the objects of our worship. We have to be careful that as God raises up different things around us to help facilitate bringing us to the place of worship that we begin to subtly exchange the, the instruments for the object of our worship. I'm talking, I'm talking about the church in general. We, we get so enamorated by the beauty of the building, the sound of the worship team, the eloquence of the preachers, that they change the glory from the true God to instruments which do not represent God. There's a fine line between rendering worship and rendering honor. There's a fine line. I believe the Bible says give honor to whom honor is due. But we just sang a song. My hallelujahs belong. My hallelujahs belong to you. And we have to be careful in an age and a time when we are so in pursuit of building something ourselves. We will build our church. We will construct it and make it the way we want it to be. And suddenly we begin to worship. We make those things that we build, the objects of our worship and make our preachers and our teachers and our choir the objects of our worship. Let's go on. God said, I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another. For my praise, nor my praise to a graven image. And I believe that one of the signs of the end times, that there will be false gods and false messiahs who will want to take the glory. And you can know what the word of said, I will not give my glory. I don't care how eloquent they are, how good they look. Nothing, no one compares to me. There is no other God. You, we have to be sensitive to the times that we're living in. We have to understand the corridors in which deception will walk into the church and will snatch the glory. I believe again that the glory of God had departed Israel long before the battle with the Philistines took place. And I think the concrete evidence of that is from 1 Samuel Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 that we read. It's the concrete evidence of the symptoms of Ichabod. There are symptoms. Well, the glory has left. And we see it in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Number one, the word of the Lord was rare. That's what it says. That's the first symptom. The word of the Lord was rare. You've got a priest, Eli. You have other priests, his sons. What do you mean the word of the Lord was rare? It, there was a general word, but the rhema word wasn't there. The rhema word wasn't there. The rhema word is that specific word. The word that God, he, he just plucks out and elevates and he quickens it and he says, this is that. The rhema word may come with the reading of the Bible, the scriptures, or it may come through the preaching. Paul told Timothy to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Paul was talking about the rhema word. You be ready. The rhema word has 
is not always what people want to hear. They want people to select scripture verses that provide more comfort and more ease. But the word of God is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what the rhema word will do. It will find us out. (laughs) The goal of preaching is faithfulness and not crowd appeal. Hear what I'm saying. Word of God is obedience and not sacrifice. I know we, what this is me, not what you want to hear. This is what we need to hear. <laughs> I say all this because 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they will have itching ears, and they will accumulate, notice the word, accumulate for themselves. Teachers to suit their own passions. We need a rhema word. The Bible also says in 1 Samuel 3 that visions were infrequent. New American Standard. Meaning that there were no few very hardly new revelations of divine truth. This this applies to the prophetic gift of the Holy Spirit. It's being able to see what cannot be seen in the natural. It is the gift which the sons of Issachar possessed. Those men who understood the times. They understood the seasons in which Israel were in. They could see it. They were very sensitive to the things of the Spirit And they understood what he wanted them to do. Do you think that in the day and the time that we live in, that we don't need a prophetic word? A vision? Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. That everybody is doing that which is right in their own eyes. Second Corinthians chapter 4 tells us where we ought to be. Verse 17 through 18, just write them down because there's too many to have us all turn. Second Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, it says, While we look not at the things which are seen, But at the things which are not seen, hear the word. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We're called to be a people who see with not only the natural, but see into the spiritual. Because that is where we want to invest our lives. Not in the things that people tell us. See this and see that. We are people who see in the unseen. And I believe as long as we are incapable of doing that, not only do we lose prophetic vision, but we lose the prophetic voice. That when the glory is gone, we lose the prophetic voice. Because we do not see how we should see. The third thing is that the eyesight of the priest had begun to grow dim and he could not see well. Oh, listen, this is not just in the natural, but this is in the spiritual. Because spiritually speaking, Eli's eyes had been darkened. His spiritual eyes had been darkened by his own failure to bring 
to bring correction to his corrupt sons. His sons who were priests were in the temple doing abominable things. And yet he did not see how he could change it. James 4, 17 says, Therefore to whom, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. You know the right thing and you're not doing it? That's sin. And so Eli's spiritual eyes were darkened. And so when you no longer have the word of God in its fullness, when there's no vision to know the times in which you're living in, and your spiritual vision has become so impaired that you cannot see the darkness which is pervading and creeping in, then you have symptoms of Ichabod that the glory has departed. I'm not talking about just the houses of the Lord. I'm talking about Ichabod can happen in your own home, in your own family, in your own life. You can be coming to church, but there's Ichabod in your cart. The glory has gone. It's that's not there. In the absence of God's glory, we only have religious symbolism. Hear me. They had the Ark of the Covenant, but when that Ark that God gave the instructions to Moses and Aaron how to construct it, how to build it, it came from God's mind and God's heart. But when they no longer served God, that Ark became symbolism. It became merely religious symbolism. The leaders of the day, the Israeli leaders could not discern that, that the power of God was no longer with them. They, they, they somehow thought if they could just get the Ark of the Covenant without discerning, the power wasn't there anymore. The glory was gone. But they hadn't lacked discernment to be able to know that. And without the glory, the Ark of the Covenant was powerless to protect Israel from their enemies. The leaders actually brought the Ark of the Covenant out of its place. God told, it, told them where to put it in the Holy of Holies. But they used it. They used it as though it was a religious or some kind of magical charm to ward off evil spirits. I run away from people who wear big crosses. I don't want to even be around them. They can be the meanest, honorest people that you could ever meet. I, I, they, the big crosses I'm talking about. Don't, I'm not talking to those who like to wear crosses. They dishonored that which was honorable and they made unholy that which was made to represent his holiness. The point is, the point that I'm speaking today is that the glory was gone. It was gone. And there was no power to save. No power to deliver. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, that in the last days perilous times will come and that people will hold to a form of outward godliness, outward religion, Although they have denied its power for their conduct, their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. You can say one thing, but you can act another way. And way, the way you act will nullify what you say. The glory is gone. It's gone. You can bring big, big beautiful buildings and stadiums. You can put money, millions and millions of dollars and lights and curtains and all those kinds of things. You can bring in the best voices and the best singers and the best instruments. But if the glory is gone, there is no power to save. Ichabod. There's no power to save or to heal or deliver. 
And you know what Paul said? Those who have a form of godliness but deny the power of it, avoid such people and keep far away from them. I normally don't say a thing that I'm getting ready to say. But if you're in a church that's pretending to be a Christian and denies the reality of the blood of the cross that has power, get out of that church! That preaches a gospel other than this gospel. That lifts up a Jesus other than this Jesus. That has a spirit that's not like God's spirit. You gotta leave. I'm saying this morning that people who, of God who have lost the glory will not survive the attacks of the enemy. For they are many and they are increasing. And just as Israel did not survive in that time, the people of God will not survive in our time. Dr. Ravi Zacharias said, I quote, without a clear understanding of God's glory, we will struggle with our own identity. Let me say that again. Without a clear understanding of God's glory, we will struggle with our own identity. That is knowing who we are and knowing what we are called to be. Because we are created to reflect his image, to reflect his likeness in order that we may reflect his glory. So if you don't understand God's glory, if you don't acknowledge the glory, if you don't recognize the glory, you will never understand who you are and what you are meant to be. You'll never understand it. You won't understand it. God's glory is the highest purpose. Is God's highest purpose. What is God's highest purpose? His glory. Make no mistake about it. That is God's highest purpose. In life, in creation, in all of eternity. God's glory is the reason for everything that he says. And everything that he does. God created everything through himself and for himself. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And God formed and shaped you and I. He created you and I for his glory. He said, everyone who's called by my name and when I, whom I have created for my glory, whom I formed, even whom I have made. So I say again, without a clear understanding of God's glory, we will struggle with our own identity, our own purpose in life. Everything we do in life, our jobs, our ministry, our calling, our service, our ministry, every relationship that we are in, it's all, it's all intended to reflect God's glory. The woman that you marry, the man that you marry, the job to take, the position you have, the place where you live, all of it was intended to reflect God's glory. Everything, everything. That is God's highest purpose. I want to say this. God created you, female, to reflect his glory. God created you a male to reflect his glory. Amen. To believe otherwise, hear this now. To believe otherwise is to deny God's perfection in making male and female is to deny it. You are denying God's imperfection? Yes. 
Andrew Murray, one of my favorite authors, said this, whatever God creates is exquisitely suited to its end. You are exquisitely created and suited to display his glory. He made no mistake. I want to just give you understanding the glory of God is so important. I want to give you just five aspects of the glory of God because if we, if we really realize that we won't even know ourselves as we understand the glory of God, let me just give you five aspects of God's glory. Number one, God's glory is the essence of his nature. Is the essence of his nature. I'm borrowing from Rick Warren's book that came out years ago where he talked about the glory of God in one of his chapters. God's glory is the essence of his nature. And I'm reminded of what happened with Moses in Exodus chapter 33. And Moses was having an intimate time with God. And he said, show me your glory. You remember that passage. You are well taught here. You are well taught. But Moses said, show me your glory. And the point that we want to illustrate is this. That although Moses had been in the presence of God, which is a, a very important aspect of God's glory, it is only an aspect of God's glory. When you walk with God, you realize there is more to him to know. You just realize it. There is more to this God than I understand. Oh my goodness. And that's one of those moments when Moses turned to God and said, let me see your glory. And I love the response that God gave him. God said, God said, yes, I'm going to give you, I'm going to grant you your request. And then he says, I will cause all my goodness, all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord. God grants Moses' request by saying to him, I will reveal, you want, to, you want to see my glory? I'm going to reveal to you my character and my nature. See, that's where God's glory begins. It begins in his divine character and his divine nature. That's where it starts. You see, saints, all worship is born out of a knowledge of God. Worship is not born out of the, the nice-sounding music. Or the melodic voices that we hear. It's born out of the fact that, wow, he is wonderful. Wow. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. God's goodness in a broader sense Includes his holiness, his righteousness, his truth, his love, his mercy, his grace. And he caused all of that to pass before Moses. And Moses was probably swept off his feet. Oh! God is good not because he chooses to be good. But because goodness is his continual, is the continual expression of his being and he cannot be anything other than good he can't be I can't be anything other than good and so therefore it is of divine necessity that God must seek after and God must display his goodness throughout all of creation he is, he is compelled to do that because if he doesn't reveal himself to us as he is, and if he doesn't proclaim his greatness to us, we will never know, we will never appreciate, and we'll never enjoy the life that we are intended to live. He must declare his glory so that we may give him glory. And as we give him glory, he's filling the earth with his glory. Now, I'm going to encourage you to read 
to read, reread the book, Purpose Driven Life, and read that chapter, chapter 7. But let me run through it. God's glory is the radiance of his splendor and majesty. The radiance of his splendor and majesty. Just as the sun continually radiates light in the natural, it's a big object lesson, the sun. God's glory continually radiates his splendor and majesty. The sun never stops radiating light. Well, our position changes, but the sun continues to radiate light. God's glory continues to radiate his splendor and majesty. It doesn't stop. When you go out of the church, when you leave this beautiful church and this wonderful service, God doesn't stop radiating his splendor and his majesty. And just as the sun radiates visible light that we can see, he, the sun also radiates invisible light. Gamma rays and x-rays and ultraviolet rays and all of you scientists know all of that. God radiates his character, his nature in invisible ways so that we see the beauty of the Lord. We're awed by his presence. You, you know, sometimes you may be on the bus and, you know, when you talk about light, you know, they have these light sensors that can pick up these invisible uh, lights that you cannot see. God has given us the spirit, his Holy Spirit, so that serves as a sensor so that we can pick up those, that radiance of his splendor, the radiance of his majesty. Even on your job, you can just meditate on the Lord and all of a sudden you pick up splendor and majesty. Hallelujah. You just pick it up. You may be married to the worst husband in the world. But if you just activate your spiritual sensors, that in the worst of things, God is still God. He's still majestic. He's still splendid. Hallelujah. And you can begin to have your own worship service right in the house. It's not pretend. It's not pretense. It's not make-believe. It is the character of God's glory to radiate his splendor and majesty even on the subway. You just have to activate your spiritual sensors and pick up that God is wonderful, that he deserves your praise. And you know what the Bible says? He inhabits the praises of his people. And, and, and that's what changes the atmosphere. Praise God. God's glory is the weight of his importance. I'm coming to a close. All, all you are clapping, you have to talk to my wife. Because after the service, she'll say, I told you, I told you, I told you. God, his glory, the word glory is translated from the Hebrew word, kabod. The Hebrew word kabod. Which is translated into English as glory. But the root meaning, kabod, the root meaning of kabod is weight, heaviness. God's glory carries a weight, a weightiness, which speaks of the weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, there is an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In ancient times, things of value were primarily measured by their weight. That's how you, you, you assess the value of gold or silver or, or gemstones. You, you weight it. So basically, when referring to the weight of God's glory, we are speaking more about his worth, the value of God's importance. The value of God's importance. God's glory exceeds the worth and value of anything else in existence. God has infinite value and infinite worth. 
His glory is beyond all measure and surpasses all comparisons. Isaiah 40, 15 says, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. What, what does, how does that relate to us? It relates that when we come before God, don't take it casually or lightly. There is a weight of importance. There is a value. There is a worth that we come before God. We bring our best. We bring our best. He is infinitely more valuable than you can ever understand. And this is important because we know that in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1 through 3, that there were two of Aaron's sons that thought that they could just casually go into the presence of God and just kind of light the fire on the altar and just do it any way they wanted to do it. Oh, we know this. We know how to do this thing. And when they walked in, the fire of God came and just consumed them. Just like that. Just like that. And Moses said, What? And God said, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. I believe that one of the primary ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit is when we come before God with strange fire. When we approach God and we treat the things of God in a casual manner, a manner that shows no reverence, no respect, no honor. Oh, we just got this thing. You become overly familiar with the things of God. You bring strange fire. And you are not valuing, we are not valuing the weight of his importance. Let me move on. God's glory is a demonstration of his power. When Martha and Mary told Jesus, that Lazarus was dead, he said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Two things that we learn which are necessary in the demonstration of power. Two things. Signs, wonders, and miracles depend on faith in the word of God and living for the glory of God. Let me say that again. Signs and wonders and miracles depend on two things. Faith in the word of God and living for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let me close. Finally, God is the atmosphere of his presence. We've talked about presence as being something we're more familiar with. But let me just give another angle to that. We know that in the book of Exodus. That as they dedicated the tabernacle. That the presence of God filled the tabernacle. That was so strong. The presence was so strong. They couldn't enter in. Moses could not enter in. The presence was so strong. And so you wonder. Why is it that God did it that way? And God says it. He says in Exodus chapter 29. Verse 42. And the place will be consecrated. And sanctified by my glory. The glory of God. It doesn't come just to. Allow us to have the. Feel good moments. But the glory comes to sanctify us. The glory comes to consecrate us. The glory comes to separate the things that should not be in our lives. The presence of God does that. It's not just so that we can have Holy Ghost goops bumps. But so that it could make us more committed to him. Praise God. But the greatest means of restoring the glory, this is the end, is to keep your eyes on Jesus and to be committed to live for his glory. By the way, for I hope I gave all five. If you don't, you just take my notes. The Bible says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. The Bible says that in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell God, Christ embodied the very essence of God's character and divine nature. Number two, in the book of Hebrews 1, 3, it was said that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. When you were hanging around with Jesus, there is always the radiance of the glory of God.
There's always a sense of splendor and marvel and wonder. Number three, Jesus carried the weight of God's glory all the way to the cross. He said in John chapter 12, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He says, no, but for this purpose I have come. Father, glorify your name. As he faced the cross, as he faced the brutality of the scourging, he said, Father, glorify your name. He carried the weight of God's importance. Time and time again, Jesus performed signs and wonders to demonstrate the power of God. And finally, Christ is the atmosphere of God's presence. Wherever two or three are gathered together, my name. There am I in the midst. Could I have the piano player to play, please? In closing, I'm going to ask you to consider that in Christ, make it your life's goal to always pursue the glory of God. Honor his glory. Declare his glory. Praise his glory. Reflect his glory. Live for God's glory. And as the word of God says, as we behold the Lord, we are being changed from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. Can we all stand? Father, I just pray right now. Let your glory come right now. Let your glory come in every man and every woman that's here right now. Fill, we pray in Jesus' name. Fill them right now. Fill them with the glory right now. In the name of Jesus. Every hindrance, every obstacle, everything that holds back the fullness of your glory. We want that right now in the name of Jesus. Move upon your people right now. Make them carriers of your glory, Father. So that, Lord, as they see your glory, they may give you glory. So that they may display your glory everywhere they go. So the desire of your heart, that the whole earth will be filled with your glory. Let New York City be changed by men and women who carry the glory of God. Let them be, be carriers wherever they go, subways, buses, office buildings, schools, homes, neighborhoods. Let your glory as you desire fill the earth. We play blessing upon your people right now. Fill them right now. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.